Welcome to another installment of Conf Tea with URSC. A reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own, and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and today we're talking about wireless. Joining me today is co-host Brian Boyd. How you doing, Brian? Doing well, Brian. I'm, I'm liking the new intro. Thank you, thank you. And uh, Joe D, how's it going, Joe? Doing great, Brian. Thanks. Fantastic. So again, we're talking about wireless today, where uh, there's a lot of acronyms out there, 802.11ax, Wi-Fi 6, WPA, 5G. There's a lot to uh, a lot to go through. So we're going to try to demystify it a little bit and get a little, uh, little into the weeds, not too much. So the first thing we want to touch on with Wi-Fi, just general best practices, right? Um, one of the things you'll run into when you're troubleshooting or uh, setting up any wireless network is you have to think about your interferences, right? So this can be interference with other Wi-Fi networks, or this can even be non-Wi-Fi related interference, such as microwaves, cordless phones, um, anything anything that'll operate on those spectrums that Wi-Fi operates on. So let's start with Wi-Fi interference, uh, and we'll talk about uh, co-channel versus adjacent channel. So when we're when we're talking co-channel or adjacent channel interference, we're really looking at the two and a half gigahertz as well as the five gigahertz. But two and a half gigahertz is is easier to kind of digest because even though there's eleven channels, there's really only three that we can use without getting any adjacent channel interference. So we're really supposed to be using channels one, six, and eleven. And the reason for that is because the channel width. Uh, with with uh, two and a half gigahertz is going to be twenty megahertz in channel width, and when you have that much width, you're actually sp- spilling into the other channels like channel two, three, four, etc. So you want to make sure that your channels are spread enough so that you can actually use the entire twenty megahertz width of that channel for your transmission and receiving. That's how you're able to get the best uh, best amount of throughput uh, and and less treat, uh, retransmits, etc. So with co-channel interference, because you only have three channels to work with, and we keep having to put more and more access points in a smaller area to deal with density concerns, what you have to make sure is that your the access points that are on the same channel are far enough away from each other that there's enough of a separation in terms of signal strength uh, between those two access points on the same channel. Ideally, and here we, here's where we get a little nerdy with it, Ideally, you want at least a 20 decibel difference between the two access points on the same channel. This allows you to actually use enough of an airspace to actually transmit and receive at a high enough throughput with little uh, retransmissions or collisions. So what does that mean? How can you achieve a 20 decibel difference? Really, it's about adjusting the power levels of the access point as well as making sure that they're far enough away and we'll get into this in a little bit but the other piece of the puzzle is if you have to put the access points really close together such as in a high density environment think um, a stadium or uh, a lecture hall where there's going to be a lot of people in a close area this is when you have to look at directional antennas to focus the beam at a certain area versus just using an omnidirectional that can go as far as it can it can in all directions. Um, so that's how you would adjust that. Now, Cisco Clean Air or Meraki's, um, Meraki's Air Marshal is going to make sure that those power levels are going to be adjusted automatically so that you're going to have that you're going to be able to achieve that 20 at least 20 decibel range there. 
And the way they do this is by using the access point as a listening device to hear other access points around them. And this is kind of the, the, the issue when we're talking about stadiums where you're putting those access points really close together, especially if you have a high ceiling, is if they're so close together that they can hear each other, they're going to keep turning themselves down, and then their signal won't reach the ground. Uh, it won't be able to service the, the clients. Um, so when we're talking 5 gigahertz, it's a little different because the spectrum has opened up quite a bit more. Um, there are things to worry about, like um, Doppler radar and stuff like that that you have to be mindful of. But we're also able to achieve faster speeds because that channel width is going to be bigger, right? We have options of 20, 40, 80, or now 160 megahertz in channel width. What does that mean? It means you're able to get a lot more throughput uh, on Wi-Fi. As we've all been able to, to tell, right, you know, 5 gigahertz speeds are going to be a lot faster than anything operating the 2.5 gigahertz. But the, the, the trade-off is you're, um, you're not going to be able to reach as far, right? Your signal um, is going to degrade the further you go out. It's going to degrade faster. Uh, and then the other piece of the puzzle is when you're using an 80 megahertz channel width, that entire spectrum is now uh, open to any sort of 5 gigahertz interference, um, which can be an issue. So this is why we have the technologies like Cisco Clean Air or Meraki Air Marshal to identify those interferences and to um, try to you know automatically adjust things like uh, transmit power as well as uh, channels. If your if your access point is in an area where there's a lot of interference and on a certain uh, frequency, it's going to you know calculate. Okay, maybe I can go to this channel instead, and then I can switch this you know adjacent access point to another channel, etc. Um, and interestingly enough, adjacent channel interference, channel, channels that are right next to each other, is actually worse than co-channel interference. And what I mean by that is it is worse to have access points right next to each other that are on uh, channels like, let's say, 1 and, and 2 than it would be to have the same access points, away, you know, same distance apart, both on the same channel. Adjacent channel interference is actually much worse than the co-channel stuff. And that's kind of where 5 gig came into play, right, with uh, non-overlapping channels. You know, right. You jumped up from 3 to 23. Right. And we do have a lot more channels to play with within the 5 gigahertz range. But again, because we did that, we also uh, increased the, the width of the channels, which then brings us back down to only being able to use two or three channels again. So we kind of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit, but we're able to get a lot more uh, bandwidth through that channel. And we'll talk about later when we start diving into Wi-Fi 6, um, how we're able to better utilize that spectrum to allow for higher density deployments and uh, a lot of cool features with low power and uh, um, IoT devices. So we touched upon um, the importance of using directional antennas when you're in a high ceiling, high, high deployment type of scenario. Uh, mounting height is definitely um, something that should be taken into, into consideration, right? Um, just as It's just as important as your placement of access points. So this is where we go into discussing things like site surveys, right? Joe, you had some things to share on, on site surveys? 
Yeah, I mean, d definitely want to stress the importance of the site survey to, you know, get a great network design for your wireless environment. Um, there's a couple different types that you could do. You have your passive, which is just your listen only. You're not actually connecting to an SSID. You're kind of just roaming around, getting the values and seeing where to place the access points. And then you have your active um, wireless site survey, which is where you actually connect to the SSID. And that's more of, uh, you know, it's going to provide you the most detail for your environment. And then predictive, which is where you just use survey, upload floor plans, and it gives you like an overlay of where you should put your access points. Um, I would always recommend going the passive or active route. I mean, we've seen many times where you do a predictive site survey and say it needs 20 access points, but then when you actually go on site, you're like, hey, I actually need twice as many or three times as many. And that's big in you know, manufacturing plants where there's all these different interference and materials that can absorb or reflect uh, the wireless signal. Right. No, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, predictive is only going to predict what we know about, which is usually things like walls or materials or, you know, mounting height. When we start filling that room with other materials, I'm thinking of a customer that um, is, you know, has a warehouse where they have steel shelving that goes up 30 feet. And these things are just packed with all different types of materials. Um, some of them, you know, harder that would be reflective surface or some of them softer that may absorb that Wi-Fi. Um, you know, that's, that's going to have a very, very Im big impact on, uh, on your performance for Wi-Fi. Brian, did you have any thoughts on that or? Yeah. When would a, uh, a predictive survey make sense then? Just if you had a, a simple building layout with no materials that could potentially block anything or, or, you know. Yeah, that's usually a good option. Or if, you know, you need someone to just get some budgetary numbers for you, like, you know, a rough estimate of how many access points you're going to need in an environment, that's usually a good lay of, you know, give you a lay of the land. Um, but like Brian said, there's so many different variables that can impact that. So we never really want to use that to do an active deployment. Um, it's more for just like budgetary or design purposes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and some customers, they may only be able to do predictive. They, they may not, you know, have the funds available to do a passive or an active. I mean, um, Cisco doesn't offer them directly, but there are a lot of partners that are um, very well versed in doing this, and they'll go out with the equipment that they have. There's usually like a cart with a with a stand that basically has an access point, you know, ten feet up in the air, something like that. They can take measurements from all these different points, and they'll give you a nice heat map. But you know, that those aren't free, right? Whereas a, a predictive, you take a floor plan. Okay, this, this, this. I know by you know by the map here, this is what my uh, my signal is going to look like in all these areas this is how i know where my range is um you know so it's not the end of the world if you can't do anything beyond predictive but your experience may vary it's it's not going to be a, a sure thing got it so to make sure you're getting the accurate reading and doing it right the first time it's better to just go all in Ab absolutely and it, you know a lot of customers when, when we're talking especially high ceiling heights you don't want to have to go back up there to move an access point, you know, you don't, you don't want, you don't want to have to do it twice. So save money, do it right the first time. Um, so <clears throat> density has been a big issue. I think really since Wi-Fi came out, um, we've noticed that density has been a problem. Two and a half gigahertz was overloaded very, very quickly. Um, you know, three channels was not enough. Um, so we had to move into the five gigahertz uh, um, frequencies, and that has definitely helped. Uh, we've gotten higher throughput. We've been able to 
service more clients. But again, the downfall of five gigahertz is that the range isn't as long, so we have to put more more access points in a tighter area. These things are only going to continue to become a bigger issue, right? It, density is not going to go down. Uh, in fact, a lot of the predictions out there uh, show that by 2020, we're looking at uh, somewhere in the lines of over 10 billion uh, wireless devices just on Wi-Fi alone. That's not counting Bluetooth or um, you know other things like Zigbee or, or GPS or anything like that, N- uh, NFC. These are all things that are going to dramatically affect how many clients are going to be connecting to the Wi-Fi, uh, including things like IoT, um, NFC devices that are going to be you know using location services on the access point. Um, so this is where we and we'll elaborate into this a little bit more as we get into the Wi-Fi 6 stuff, Um, but this is where Wi-Fi 6 is really kind of uh, um, making some drastic improvements with some of the new technologies that are coming out. Um, So before we get into that, I do want to touch on WPA3. I want to talk about security here. Um, We're looking at, uh, this is not related to Wi-Fi 6 coming out. This is a separate standard that I believe is supposed to be uh, backwards compatible with some of the existing hardware out there. But WPA3 has a lot of cool things coming down the pipeline, uh, specifically in the WPA3 uh, personal space. Um, the a, a new feature that's being uh, released is called Simultaneous Authentication of Equals, or SAE. It replaces the pre-shared key. Um, so it allows users to enter an easier password and it makes it at the same time more resilient to offline dictionary attacks. So what does that mean? Basically, you can put in that, you know, in, in the way that we've done it before with pre-shared keys, right? I go over to your house, I say, hey, Joe, what's your Wi-Fi password? And you say, Joe is awesome with an exclamation mark at the end. Okay. That's a dic- that's that's going to be susceptible to a dictionary attack because you're using, yes, you're using a phrase, but... You know those that I'm sure a lot of people have. Joe is awesome as their as their password. I think I might change it to mine actually. Um, but that key is your encryption key. Everything's encrypted with that. So what the SAE is going to do is by replacing pre-shared keys, you can use Joe is awesome, which may not be the best form of encryption or the best key to use on encryption, but it's going to take that and it's going to harden it. And it's going to use that as your key. So it's going to be much more resilient to offline uh, dictionary attacks. <clears throat> so if we have customers right now running WPA2 and they want to convert to WPA3, do you think that's going to be a long undertaking? Or is it going to be you know a checkbox like it kind of is now in the WLC? I think it's going to be a, a checkbox. Once the standard has been released and the, the, firmwares, you know, the firmwares are upgraded on the hardware uh, and software, I believe it's going to be a checkbox because it has to be backwards compatible with WPA2. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more strict in terms of um, using things like uh, protected management frames. In fact, uh, WPA2 mandated support of protected mandate frames uh, since early 2018, but WPA3 enforces it. So there's, you know, if, if you're not using protected management frames, then it won't work. So. We may have some backwards compatibility issues with hardware that's not capable of doing WPA3, but I think it's going to be kind of like how we uh, we did it with uh, WPA2, where it could do one or two. It was compatible with the hardware that wasn't able to do three. Um, I think that's going to be the, uh, the the big piece there. 
for anyone that wants to read up on any of this, we're going to be posting a lot of links this, uh, for this episode uh, in the show notes. So be sure to check it out uh, and read up on anything. The other thing I want to talk about that's uh, for security that's going to be really huge, I think, for WPA3 is uh, a term called opportunistic wireless encryption, uh, or OWE. Um, and what this is going to replace is your standard open network. So you go to Starbucks or you go to a hotel. Uh, some hotels, they'll encrypt it with a key. But when you go to Starbucks or a hotel that has an open Wi-Fi network, for you know they, they have it open there so you can get on it easily. Um, the downfall is, is that now you're talking in open, unencrypted form. So anyone that's listening to the network traffic can, can listen to you. The same thing with how we're doing it now with pre-shared keys, right? You're, you, if you if you go to a hotel and it's written on the back, you know, Wi-Fi password is one two three four, you know, etc. Um, once you have the key, you're you're listening to everyone's conversations. So with the opportunistic wireless encryption, we can still provide an open network that clients can connect to. But what happens is once you're connected, the Wi-Fi access point and the client will negotiate a key to be used, and it's going to be that that key is only going to be used once. It's going to be unique to that communication. So just because I'm on the network, my system has a key, it's completely transparent to the user, right? I'm not the one putting in a, a password. I can't listen to anyone else's conversations because you're using a different key than I am, even though we're on the same network and it's quote-unquote open. This is huge. I think I think this is how it should have been designed in, to begin with, uh, but we're here now or we're, we're getting there, so this is going to be... Uh, this is going to be really, uh, really big, I think. So will that help with man-in-the-middle attacks or packet sniffers? Packet sniffers specifically and, and man-in-the-middle. I mean, anytime that you're on a shared medium, right, which is what wireless is, um, whether it's encrypted or not, it's still a shared medium. You're, you're able to sniff the traffic, and you can very easily do a man-in-the-middle. You can do some ARP spoofing, and, and you know now all the traffic's coming through you. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, gonna, it's definitely going to uh, take a, a bigger role into making sure that your connection is secure. Much in today that that we've gone from hubs, which take a, a packet and broadcast it out to all open ports, to now switches, uh, which used to be called smart switches back in the day. Um, you know, where that packet that's directed to you only goes to you. It goes down that path. Uh, so it's going to make things like man in the middle harder for sure. It's, I mean, it's not going to get rid of it. Um, there's always going to be something that can be broken or hacked or whatever, but it's definitely going to make it more difficult for. Um, for the bad guys. So, 802.11ax, I think uh, kind of the, the crux of the conversation here talking about wireless, also known as Wi-Fi 6. Um, this is the future of wireless, and there's definitely a lot of cool features coming down the pipeline here, um, starting with um, OFDMA. Um, Joe, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So OFDMA, um, not even going to try to pronounce it, it's actually Orthogonal Frequency Division Multiple Access. I think I did pretty good. That's good. Um, you did do it then. But okay. it actually pretty much takes the channel and splits it into smaller sub-channels, if you want to say, to allow multiple um, users to be able to transmit at the same time. Um, and like you said before, it's not really, it definitely increases speed, but it's more about high-density, high-efficiency wireless to be able to have more users communicating at the same time. So let's let's dive into this a little bit. So all right, so let's say we've got uh, we're talking five gigahertz here. So we're talking an eighty megahertz channel width, okay? Because again, it's a shared medium. We have to divide by time, right? You can talk when you're done talking. I can talk when I'm done talking. You know, the other client can talk. 
that's how wireless works. Now, when we came, when we got AC, we introduced um, MU-MIMO, multi-user, multiple input, multiple output, which allowed for multiple spatical streams. So you always see the 2x2, 3x3, 4x4. AX is going to introduce 8x8, which is cool. But the other thing it's going to do, as you said, was to break down that spectrum. So again, we have that 80 megahertz spectrum. And the way it worked before with AC is that when I wanted to talk, I would grab one spatical stream and I would broadcast using the entire channel width at full speed. The idea being that if I can broadcast my, my, if I can get rid of my packets or my frames faster, then I can quickly move through and I can, you know, then we can take the next resource and uh, allocate it to the next person. Um, The problem with that is that if you have devices, let's say IoT devices that are just doing little check-ins, right? We have to allocate the entire spectrum to that device that's only maybe doing a quick ping, right? Or a heartbeat. This is where OFDMA comes in by saying, okay, I've got a client that needs to talk. I'm just going to allocate him two megahertz of that of that frequency, right? So I'm still using four by four or eight by eight, but now I'm dividing the frequency into multiple little parts, right? Yep, exactly. So this adds a third dimension of, of resource allocation that we never had before. So instead of just time and spatical stream, we also are breaking up that 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 spectrum into into tiny little chunks that can be allocated for whatever needs. So if we have a ton of IoT devices that are just doing little blurps and little check-ins here and there, we can allocate each one of them a small piece of that spectrum and allow for the rest of the spectrum to be open for you know medium and higher throughput uh, clients out there. Yeah, and this is one of like the major enhancements, I think, over you know an increase in speed. Um, when you had you know 802.11n to AC, that was like a threefold increase in speed. The right. speed is there's definitely a speed increase, but not as much. But OFDMA kind of hits that you know each user has you know three, four, or five different devices on them at the same time. It's not just a cell phone and a laptop. They have you know cell phone, laptop, iPad, smartwatch. Right. Um, so we need to be able to take care of all those different um, connections. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest piece is is density. Um, there is a speed increase on AX versus AC, um, but it's, I think, maybe 25%. Like, we, we didn't, you know, yep. we went from N to AC. It was a huge jump, right? I think the theoretical speeds of AC were somewhere on, like, 8 giga, uh, gigabits per second. Um, the actual throughput that we're actually seeing is around 3 and a quarter, and AX is supposed to be around, like, 4 and an eighth. But um, I think the biggest piece here is is density. We're going to be able to allocate that full four gigabits per second of throughput to a client if it needs it. But I think the most important part is here is to service all types of clients because at the same time, you're going to be have clients that are on the network that are just connected. They're, they might be in low power mode. They might be asleep, right? You think of when you walk into, um, walk into a stadium or something like that and your phone is in your pocket and it's connected, but it's not really doing anything. Then you pull it out and you want to do a bunch of stuff and you're, you're pulling a bunch of data and then you put it away. Um, this is going to solve the problem of density and throughput when the clients need it. Um, one of the biggest um, one of the biggest things that I've seen touted that this is going to really help for is immersive VR uh, headsets, right? That are that are you know connected to Wi-Fi and they're everyone they're streaming that video. It's going to be really good for that. Um, will we see that in the near future? Who knows? <laughs> And I know you mentioned the whole battery saving thing as mm-hmm. well, and that kind of leads up to the, I think, the second major enhancement, which is the target wake time. So I don't know if you want to touch on that. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> okay. But um, if, you, if you do, go ahead. 
Yeah, so target wake time just uses pre-scheduled times to actually exchange data with the APs, so it's not a constant on connection. Um, so with all these IoT devices and you know wireless devices, you want to be able to increase the battery. Um, so it's up to three to four times battery savings with that diff- that new uh, standard. Nice. Yeah, as we're throwing on more IoT devices and more low-power devices, um, things like uh, trackers for medical devices in a hospital, right? Uh, we don't want to have to worry about recharging those things all the time. We want to just get a device that has a battery that'll last, you know, ten years, or whatever, and just let it let it roll. And uh, bringing it back to density, mm-hmm. just because you guys brought it up, and, and that's going to be some great, you know, innovation there. But it's also important to plan the rest of your network for this as well, because Absolutely. you go out and you buy these new, you know, Wi-Fi six capable APs. They still have to connect back to a switch. Right. So it's important that your switch has M-gig capability, which Absolutely. is the ability to turn that um, you know, Cat6 copper cable into a, um, a 10 gig instead of a 1 gig connection, mm-hmm. up to 10 gig. Uh, so you can handle that density and throughput from the AP back to the switch. Right. With that comes oversubscription as well. I think we talked about that in the first podcast. Yep. Uh, but because now, you know, instead of every port being 1 gig, some of them may be more closer to 5. Right. You're going to want to make sure that your uplinks can handle the traffic as well. Yeah, so this this can turn out into a very uh, a very big overhaul of your infrastructure uh, if you haven't been keeping up on you know that type of connection speed throughout your infrastructure. Um, but if you have been, this could be a, a, an easy turn uh, a turnkey solution for you. Just you know, so I get to swap out my access points. Maybe I I being, you know add another uplink and you know add it to the ether channel. Uh, to you know, increase my throughput. But overall, as you said, oversubscription in terms of you know now my ports are now operating at five gig or even ten gig. Um, I've got a lot more throughput coming in. I need to keep in mind of my uplink capabilities, and I also need to keep an eye on what those port capabilities are. Again, if you've got an access point that can handle four gigs and it's only connected at one, yeah, that, that's going to be your bottleneck. That's a bottleneck. Now. If your biggest concern is more density and not throughput, then you may not need to worry about it. But if you are going to be planning this, you know, going forward, it, it's going to be something you want to keep in mind. So M gig is something that is available on our Meraki and Catalyst lineup, um, and you know the ability to do 100 gig uplinks um, or you know 25, 40, 100 gig uplinks on, on our Catalyst series up to Nexus or whatever uh, is all is all available too. I think we've got what 400 gig capabilities on Nexus now for. We do, but not uplinks. Not uplinks, so right. That, that's more of a data center speed at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, hopefully you're not doing 400 gig uplinks to access <laughs> layer. But, you know, we laugh about it now, but in yeah, two years we're going to be like, okay, so we got to talk about one terabit per second and your <laughs> access layer. It's it's coming. I mean, I didn't I didn't ever think that, uh, you know, we would need more than 54 megabits per second because, you know, hey, at the 54 megabits per second, your ISP was your was your bottleneck at, you know, half a, half a meg. So, yeah, no, uh, definitely uh, big things are coming. Um, And this is important for things like streaming 4K or even 8K video, um, immersive VR. Um, These things are here, and they're going to be gaining in popularity. Um, So this is definitely something to keep in mind. Um, So we've kind of talked about what is AX versus AC. Uh, And again, uh, we have a, a lot of white papers and, and, and links that are going to be posted in the show notes, so I encourage you to read them out, uh, check them out, and read them. Um, the standards are have not been fully ratified yet; it's still, you know, it's still kind of in draft mode here. But we're expecting, I think, uh, 
Wi-Fi 6 to be finished by the end of the year. Yeah, Q3, Q4 was the estimate I saw. And then I think WPA3 is probably going to be early 2020. Uh, so we'll see how, how that shakes out. Uh, and again, WPA3 should just be a, a firmware upgrade and a, a checkbox as long as the hardware is capable of it, which I believe it is. Um, however, with uh, Wi-Fi 6, there is a change in hardware. Um, so this means we're looking at new products. Um, on the Meraki side, uh, the MR45 and the MR55 uh, are out today, and they are available for ordering. Um, the same thing with, um, you know, s- same as the other Meraki access access points, they're going to be uh, controlled by the Meraki dashboard, so no, no difference there. These are just going to be capable of the additional features that Wi-Fi 6 um, offers. On the Catalyst side, we recently announced the 9115 and the 9117. Again, same process. Um, they are going to be controlled by um, you know either Mobility Express or your uh, 5520 or your new Catalyst 9000 series controllers. Um, so no big difference there. We'll post links so that you can take a look at the uh, the data sheets there. But these are all just Wi-Fi 6 capable access points that are going to bring you the benefits that we discussed already. Um, what about the uh, the clients connecting to them? Will they have to be Wi-Fi 6 capable as well? Absolutely. Um, in order to experience, in order to gain the benefits of the Wi-Fi 6, you know, what Wi-Fi 6 has to offer, uh, you know, the additional throughput, stuff like that, yes. However, Wi-Fi 6 is backwards compatible with everything going, I think, all the way back to uh, 11B. Uh, now, you can obviously turn that off. Um, but I think the, the issue we had in the past with um, like AC, right, was that if you wanted your network to run smoothly, what you would basically do is not allow um, B devices on your network. Now, if anyone's running B devices, okay, maybe it's time to upgrade it. But you may, you may not be able to, right? You may have some older hardware that's only running B. The problem there is that the, the B device would actually slow down the rest of your network because of the fact that we needed to allocate, again, time to be able to allow that device to broadcast. And because that device's bit rate was so much lower than everything else, we had to wait longer for that one to finish. And then we could switch over and you know get client two, client three, client four, and then go back and wait again. So your slower device here, device connecting at 11B, would actually slow down the rest of your network. Um, now that we're offering this OFDMA, uh, you remember how to say it again, Joe? You want to try it again? Sure. Orthogonal frequency division, multiple access. Gold star. I couldn't. I, I wasn't even going to try. Uh, now that we offer the OFDMA and Wi-Fi six, that problem isn't going to be a problem anymore. I don't know if it's going to uh, affect. You know, if it's going to um, take effect on wireless, you know, B devices. But the you know the same thing goes with uh, with IoT devices again, right? We have to allocate time for any device to talk and we have to give it the full spectrum during that time, it's going to slow down everything else. So, again, you, are, you, don't have to be a, um, you don't have to be using a client that is fully Wi-Fi 6 capable to experience all the benefits of Wi-Fi 6, but um, obviously you're going to, you know, it'll be a good thing if you, if you do. So I think having the infrastructure in place and ready to go for those devices is going to be the big first step. And as you said, Brian, uh, making sure that your infrastructure is in place and ready to handle that additional capability is going to be important. So, guys, uh, is there anything else that we want to touch on uh, before we wrap this one up? 
Yeah, one thing I wanted to, I know we briefly touched on 5G. Um, so 5G is kind of coming along. Cellular 5G. Cellular 5G, correct. We have to, we have to yeah. 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 So that's coming right alongside um, Wi-Fi 6. And I think one of the main reasons is because, you know, how often have you been in a store or something connected to the wireless? It's been super slow. Yeah. So you get off their wireless and just connect to your 4G. But if you're in a retail store or a stadium, they want you to connect to their wireless for, you know, location tracking or marketing. Um, so that's why Wi-Fi 6 is coming along uh, 5G cellular so we can kind of match that speed so there's no need to switch off of the Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And it's funny, too, because the OFDMA technology is actually taking a page off of what we've done in cellular for so long in terms of dividing up the frequency and allowing to serve multiple clients in the same time frame on the same uh, spatical stream. So, um, yeah, 5G, there's a... <laughs> There's a lot of myth around it, uh, you know, out there right now, and and obviously it's it's a hot button topic for a lot of reasons, including some political ones. Um, but 5G definitely has some promise to it in terms of throughput and capabilities. Um, but if, you know, Wi-Fi six is going to be just as important because there is mobile offload when you're talking um, wireless, as you as you mentioned, you go into a a store and you know the Wi-Fi just isn't working as well as you needed to. You're going to switch over to to cellular. Um, and that has uh, its, its pros and cons for both the consumer and the store. If you're using, uh, if you spend a lot of money in marketing uh, and using things like the CMX or the additional features that Meraki has to offer in terms of location tracking and analytics on Wi-Fi, um, you're losing out on that benefit because the customer experience on your Wi-Fi network sucks. So making sure that you have a good experience on Wi-Fi so that your customers continue to use it uh, is, is going to be important. Brian, any, uh, any final thoughts? I am all set. Fantastic. Well, thank you for listening to ConfT with URSC. If you have a question you'd like to a- have us answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. Send all hate mail to joediatorio at cisco.com. That's not really my address. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, uh, if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can get notified when we publish a new episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T S-H-O-W. Until next time, as always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config. <laughs> <laughs>